The All Black Podcast is powered by our official cloud software partner, SAP, helping our teams in black become the best-run teams in sport. To listen to this episode and all the All Black Podcasts, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Kirafano, welcome to episode 6 of the All Black Podcast, powered by SAP. So good today to have one New Zealand's top whistleblowers. He's already done over 100 first-class matches, nearly 50 internationals. Amongst that, Rugby World Cups, Lions Series, he's even ref the All Blacks. That's a very small group of people. Welcome to the podcast, Ben O'Keefe. Good around you. Thanks for having me, mate. It's good to be here. Mate, are you, just on looking at that, are you the only man, the only Kiwi, sorry, who's, who's ref the All Blacks, or has there been a couple more? I, I can't even think of anyone who would have done it. Yeah, it's a pretty pre-ref feat to um, obviously referee your own country. Normally they have have neutral referees. Yeah. Um, but I think the very first referee was um, Dave Bishop back, uh, he's a, from Marlborough where, where actually I grew up. Um, he refereed the All Blacks back in maybe the, the 70s or 80s. I don't want to get that too wrong. Um, <laughs> with an invitational barbarian team. Yeah. And then, so that, he was the first and only for, for a long, long time. Um, but with COVID and what happened um, last year when we could get teams into New Zealand for um, the Bledisloe and the Rugby Championship games. Um, it gave the opportunity for myself and Paul Williams to to referee um, Australia versus the All Blacks in those series. And also they had some Australian referees referee, you know, their own country too. Um, and then since then, Brendan Pickerel's done um, the All Blacks as well. So a very select few, only four of us. Um, and who knows what's going to happen in the future, but certainly that period in time because um, because of COVID, it just, yeah, it was sort of led up those opportunities to to be involved in a live all-back game, which was was pretty pretty amazing. Something you, you probably never thought you'd do, is it? That's that's just off the table, really, when you start getting into refereeing, but because of the situation that we're in over the last couple of years, like, hang on a minute, you're out there and you're actually on the pitch with the all-black team getting up close and personal, that's that's a pretty cool thing to say that you've got in the on the CV. Yeah, it was crazy because you're right, 100% right. Like, it was never a goal to be able to referee your all-backs because you, you never could. Like, it was just off the table. So, for me, the biggest game that I could do potentially would be, you know, South Africa versus England, you know, North versus South or Australia versus France. Um, so, they were the big games at the World Cup or, um, you know, at the end of the year. So, the fact that we could do the all-backs um, was incredible. And, you know, I was standing there live in the stadium with the New Zealand anthem and watching the haka. And I realised that I'd never seen the haka my whole life in person because every time the All Blacks are playing in a July series or overseas, I'm always somewhere else referring, you know, Argentina versus Scotland or, um, you know, other countries. So I'm always waking up in the morning watching these games. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a different dynamic um, being able to do that. Is it a different as well, like a slightly different feeling in your preparation? Because I know I've heard you say before, like, you referee the matches and quite often, like you just said, you're abroad, you're doing um, July test matches um, in other countries or you're up north Northern Hemisphere tours and you don't have to worry about the thoughts, feelings and emotions of your own people in your own country, you know, who are going to see your um, performance at an international level up close and personal. You're probably up doing Scotland or something else, you know, far away from the from our ears and eyes. Was that, was that on your mind as you went into that, sort of doing it in front of like your people, mate, like your community, your mates, your family, all that sort of stuff? It was it was certainly an interesting challenge knowing that um, you know could I referee could you referee your own country and you know obviously people say that you know how can you referee your own country you're going to be biased you're going to be um, referring you know the whistle to, to your own team um, but you know the the challenge around actually referring your own country was was great to be able to go through because I realised that you know once you, they kick the ball off at halfway you know you're straight into your process and the game's so quick that you just referee what's in front of you anyway so I quite liked that experience because it proved to me 
that actually at that top level you could I think it's it's easier not to referee your own country just with um, perceptions that can happen after games um, but it just proved that yeah, at, at the top level at the elite level you know we're out there refereeing what's in front of us um, and we can certainly do it so yes yeah, so I was always a little bit um, in the back of my mind thought um, you know could I return home um, after a game like that but um, certainly you know you referee overseas and you have the same issue as well they sort of know know where you're staying and there's a lot of a lot of people in other countries that are pretty um, passionate about their team so um, there's a lot of countries out there that when they see me referee, um, you know, they're always going to question stuff afterwards as well. So um, it doesn't change whether you're doing your own country or not. Absolutely. And and we've, so I'll come back to some of the stuff you touched on there, but today we've, we've Zoomed you in. Like, what are you up to? Where are you? Like, uh, what part of the country in New Zealand in and, and what's taking you there? Oh, mate, I'm in the beautiful bay or Hawke's Bay, um, Napier. So, um, not that bay. You're just in the yeah, Hawke's Bay, not that bay. I don't know to get yeah. into that, the yeah. Hawke's Bay. Let's not get okay. into that. Yeah, yeah. I thought I'd just put that out there just to see if you're pushing. Um, and yeah, so I'm here for uh, the Bunnings NPC, um, which is fantastic because, you know, I was actually based in Auckland last year. I've, I've moved back to Wellington where I've sort of spent the last six years, but in Auckland, in lockdown. So this time of the year, I was basically stuck at home. Yeah. Um, couldn't really do anything. I was just watching it on TV. So it's been a while since I've been able to, able to get into, I guess, the you know regional rugby within New Zealand. And this, this half of the year and this competition, I absolutely love because... Um, you're getting around the regions. Um, you know, you're refereeing teams that you haven't refereed in a while. Um, you're seeing you're seeing players from different Super Rugby teams all amalgamated into um, you know the club team as well. And you get some really really awesome games. And I think you know the beauty about this year is we've got one massive competition where everyone's actually playing for that final spot, that final trophy. And we haven't had that for a while, so that's exciting. It's cool. And you know, I'm going. You know, you're going around places where you haven't been in a while and, you know, even meeting local referees that you haven't seen in a while too and working with them. So the games are always exciting. Um, and I feel like, you know, last weekend I was in Blenheim where I grew up in my hometown and I refereed at Lansdowne Park, which, you know, I grew up playing on that park. But for some reason, like, I just, I, I've never been selected. It was the only field in New Zealand uh, that I never refereed at. So last weekend wow. I was pretty special at Lansdowne Park being able to um, blow the whistle there. It nearly got cancelled because Southland couldn't arrive. Yes, the fog. Yeah, thought, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just thought, oh, okay, here we go again. You know, I'm still not going to referee um, on this park. So um, I was able to tick that box. And, um, yeah, here in Napier, it's a beautiful day. Um, it's a Rainfully Shield game tonight. So, you know, that's massive as well. Um, yeah, it's just going to be exciting. It's it's a really cool time of the year. It's awesome, mate. It's a good brand, isn't it? The weather's starting to get a little bit better and it's probably a, a slightly younger demographic of, of guys playing footy and they just love to chuck the ball around. And there's a, there's a few less cameras for Sky on these ones, isn't there as well, Ben? You know, I'd like to keep an eye on you as well. Yeah, it's interesting you say that as referees. You do take um, <laughs> take notice of where the cameras are, and I've noticed that there are no, there are not a lot of in-goal cameras at the moment. So that's actually a bad thing for us because I mean, that <laughs> as a referee, I've got to work more butt off to get in-goal yep. um, to be able to make those decisions versus just sending it upstairs and, and getting the, the, the man in the TMO box uh, do it for me. So a little bit extra pressure on me now. Actually, a great initiative coming up, and it's one around. We're doing a luncheon in September for all our referees. It's a capping ceremony, which is pretty cool. First time it's happened. And I firstly, for you, uh, when you heard about it, you know, what was your thoughts around being capped as one of our New Zealand referees? Oh, it's incredibly special hearing that we're going to be recognised, not just the current referees, but the previous referees who've led the way for us, who've created that pathway for um, international referees, New Zealand referees to be refereeing, um, you know, the biggest games in the world overseas. But it just feels like we're becoming part of that, um, you know, that New Zealand team environment. You know, the, the All Blacks, the Black Ferns, everyone's been capped. And it's just something that uh, they're recognising that, you know, we, we're in that same 
same environment of doing those games. Yes, we're not doing the All Blacks. We're overseas and, you know, at three in the morning. So potentially we're not being seen by New Zealanders as much. Um, but it's, it's just so special for me to know that I'm going to be sitting in a room. I'm going to receive a cap, but also to be in a room uh, with some of our first ever professional referees, Colin Hawke, Pat O'Brien, um, even Dave Bishop, I mentioned before, he's going to be there. Um, and, and referees through that era, uh, you know, who have all shared experiences like I have, uh, will just be really, really special. Because, you know, refereeing, it's, it's quite hard to explain, you know, what we do week in, week out when we're overseas, what it's like in games. But I'll be in a room with other men and women who who have experienced it and I can share those stories with. So I, I'm really excited by that. I think it's, um, yeah, as I said, a really good initiative because it's just going to recognise the, the, I guess, the sacrifices and the achievements of uh, New Zealand referees that have, have been and gone. Oh, absolutely, because at times it can be a, a thankless task. I know you guys love it because you feel like you've got the best seat in the house and it's a great way to be involved in the community, but that's exactly what it's recognising is your contribution to the rugby community, which is fantastic. And I know that we're going to do some more specific podcasts around this um, closer to the luncheon, but one thing New Zealand Rugby are really keen is to try and get a representative of every single referee that's that's blowing the whistle um, over the years. Some of those have passed away, but still would love a family representative. So if you do, there's a list of New Zealand Rugby referees on the New Zealand rugby website and if um, anyone's uh, related or, or close to someone who's been involved in that fraternity please jump in there and, and help us locate as many of them as possible so we can make that a, a really special um, event coming up in September. Mate we want to firstly a few quick fire questions get to know Benny a little bit better you know the man behind the whistle but what was your uh, favourite player or All Black growing up? So this, this will be interesting I don't know if um, anyone would have said this before but uh, my favourite player growing up uh, was Reese Duggan, Waikato. Oh, yeah, good. And um, I don't know, my, my, my dad was a massive Waikato um, fan, um, always wore the jersey. And um, for some reason, I don't know, I, I also grew up, I loved I loved a bit of the underdog. So, you know, Reese Duggan was in the era of, you know, the Byron Kalaha, the, the Justin Marshalls. So, you know, we never, we never Waikato played Otago, Waikato played um, Canterbury. You know, we we're always going, um, obviously, dad was always going for Waikato, and I was always going for Reese to try and get one up. Um, those guys and, and I had to actually Google and search and I do remember he did I think he did get a test for the All Blacks so you know, it does count as international but um yeah I just back in the day I thought he was he was pretty awesome um, it never made me want to be a halfback because um I was I was never any good at, at, at sort of throwing the ball around but yeah he was definitely he was definitely a player I always kept my eye on he was scrappy wasn't he he was a feisty competitor and and um yeah GC was part of um a couple of pretty decent Waikato sides back in the day how good and for you mate you probably do a bit of travel you got a little bit of downtime every now and again even though I know the the referees work very hard Ben but what are you streaming at the moment mate what's on the what's on the Netflix or the the Apple or whatever your go-to device is well mate we we work so hard and we travel that <laughs> so much there. no time actually, no I, time I've run out I've run out of um <laughs> you've clocked it <laughs> but um no, mate, I recently just clocked um, whatever season it was, season four of Ozark. You know, that oh, was yeah. always a, yeah. a staple of mine, um, which was really cool. So as soon as I, I found out that that um, came out, I sort of got straight into that. And, you know, next minute it's four in the morning, you, you watch the whole season. Um, but, like, controversially, like I've sort of made it a bit of a series as um, a month ago, Top Gun 2 came out. Oh. And, and, mate, I grew up with, uh, like, uh, with a uh, VHS cassette of that movie. Oh. Um, grew up with that, so when that came out, I've probably watched that about eight or nine uh, times since then. So it's become a bit of a, a season or a series for me. Oh, you're um, preaching that converted here. Like it's tough to get a sequel right, but they nailed it. They did see it, nailed it. I won't have anything up, anything else. It was a great show, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. What about mate on the way to footy? Uh, about to get along and, and ref one of the games. What's on the Spotify playlist? What's your go-to? Are we calming down? Are we revving up? Like how do we approach this? 
Yeah, no, look, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of a bit of music before the game in the sheds, um, before the match as well. I've always got my speaker speaker going. Um, I've got a pretty eclectic taste in music. I love a good beat, but I'm, I'm definitely more of an acoustic man, bit of rock. Um, so anything like, uh, you know, Oasis, The Chilies, In Excess, um, love Fleetwood Mac. Um, you know, so I put all, put all those tunes on and, you know, probably... I'll probably annoy the commentators because about half an hour before kickoff, you know, we put on the, the communication devices, we put the Sky microphone on. And so that's all open mic. Right. So I'm, I'm blasting away with these tunes and um, I'm pretty sure they probably have to turn me down, depending <laughs> obviously on what music I have. But um, I, lo- I love a good beat and uh, I think, you know, it definitely helps me uh, get in the zone before a game just to relax and, and get some tunes going. And, and I love like at downtime in big test matches yeah. um, when, you know, maybe a, a prop's injured or, or they're just taking a, a water break or something, you know, when the stadium um, you know puts their music on. Like one, one song I remember that I love <laughs> is a real stadium anthem. Is can't stop by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh yeah, when I start that tune. I'm I'm bouncing and <laughs> I've got to make sure I'm not going to blow a quick penalty <laughs> straight after that because because I'm loving it. Ah uh, mate, mate, yeah, like gotta. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. But some of the atmospheres at some of the test matches you've been to must be it must be really hard to keep your head in the game. But um, that that's a that's a good set list, mate. And if we're if we're having three people around for dinner, who is it? Who are you inviting around? Can be anyone. And 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 can you cook? Like what's on the menu? Yeah, well, uh, it's interesting. Like, I think you'd appreciate this, Randy. Like, I'm a, I'm a big golf man. I love, yeah. uh, love my um, uh, golf and hitting a ball around. But uh, I'd probably invite uh, Cam Smith for first and foremost. Yeah, just to find um, out if he's going to live golf or not. Or yeah, yep, yeah, yep. yeah. And, and I wonder if he is. I, I reckon potentially um, it could be a move there because um, he's been pretty successful lately. Yeah. Um, so get him over. Um, I reckon he'd be he'd be pretty good um, helping me out with the, the fire and you know just getting that mullet there. <laughs> And also, just because of the bit of the banter that um, there was between Bryce and Deschambeau and Brooks Kepka, yeah. I reckon me and Cam Smith would be able to sit back and sort of just watch that meltdown. Um, so that'd be a pretty good night um, around the fire. And um, that's what I do. Like, I, I think my cooking, I can follow a recipe, but I'm really bad at, at actually working out what I want to cook that night, you know, like walking into the supermarket and, and trying to pick things out. So I love, I've got a, I've got a big outdoor fire at home um, that you can cook on. So for me, um, I've got my trusty, which could be controversial, little thermometer. Um, <laughs> the meat on the fire and just cook some steaks. Um, I bought a little rotisserie the other day, put a little pork roll on there, and um, we'll just be a big protein diet for the night, um, which I think will be good fun. Sounds like a good night. I think we're seeing a trend here, producer Carl. I think we've got a details man. I think we've got a details man. But firstly, mate, into your career, like what got you into riffing? I know you're. I know you you won't say this stuff, but you're a head boy at Marlborough Boys. You're a man child. You're in the midfield there. Played a lot of footy. Played a bit for the first fifteen. Down to Dunners. You know doing medicine so a heap on and sort of what um steered you towards refereeing amongst all of that because there's there's a lot going on as a young fella yeah there was and like i had an exciting time growing up you know rugby was a big part of my life and my family's life um where i grew up in marlborough my my dad actually refereed um so he was sort of you know as a referee a lot of a lot of referees start by playing and then they get injured or you know they get a little bit older and they move into refereeing um, that's sort of the, the pathway that my dad followed. And, you know, I watched him growing up. I'd, I'd play rugby in the morning, then I'd be, you know, watching him. I'd be the ball boy, or sometimes I'd hold the flag for him on the sideline um, in the afternoon. But I never thought that I'd ever want to referee. It never, you know, I guess I still wanted to be an All Black <laughs> back in the day. You know, it's the dream of every kid. And um, so I, I did. I, I went to university, and, and my second year um, after my first year there, I went down and trialed um, for a rugby team down there. And I just, I, I lost a little bit of love. I lost a bit of passion. Like, and I wasn't a great player either. So that, that, um, that always, you know, helped the decision to move on. 
And he actually got into my ear and said, because back then, this was um, this must have been around 2007, 2008, we started having, you know, Super Rugby was professional. We started having pathways there for referees to become professional and, and start traveling, traveling the world. So it was a little bit of a job there. Again, I didn't really ever recognize that, but I think, you know, Dad obviously had some insight. And he said, look, you should try. Um, if you don't want to play anymore, you should just stay in, stay in rugby and stay refereeing. So I went down to um, a Monday meeting down in Dunedin, um, just by the University Oval there. And then that weekend, they um, I was on my laptop, and um, then you didn't have iPhones. It was still sort of the Nokia's. Um, so you could, you know, the email that they sent to me didn't go to my phone. They sent an email to me on the Wednesday saying that I had a game on the Saturday, which I didn't receive until ten minutes before kickoff. So <laughs> we looked up, and actually, I was I was um, flatting across from North Ground, and I was busy studying and on my laptop, and I was looking over at the field, and there's a team warming up, and there was no referee, and I was like, oh, that's a bit funny, but you know, I'll get back to my work, and I checked my email, um, and yeah, they I was actually the one that was meant to be refereeing that game, so we <laughs> jumped out, got my boots, ran over, had a whistle. I asked the coach for a watch because I didn't have a watch. <laughs> and then, mate, proceeded to referee this game. Like, I'd never want to see the video of that game ever again because <laughs> I'm sure I was all over the place. Um, but, yeah, that's how it started. And it was just something that, for me, it kept me involved with the game, but also got me out of outside, um, you know, from the studies and all the clinic work and and working on the in the hospital on the wards. Um, kept me fit, so it kept me mentally sort of agile for, um, you know, the work I was doing during the week and, and you know we we could have a little bit of bit of banter after the game with the players. So I, that's what I loved about it, and and the progression just happened after a few years while being down there doing that. So for me, it was just a passion to to stay involved in the game that I loved. Was it a big decision to sort of when the opportunity came to go full time? Because you're doing, you know, obviously you'd study medicine, you put a huge amount of work into that. You were starting to work in that in that sector, um, and when the opportunity came, you know, was that a tough decision? Because you know they're, they're two big opportunities and, and quite significantly different. Yeah, it was, it was a massive decision. Um, and well, I mean, looking back now of what I've done and achieved, um, I'm really grateful that I did make that decision. But at that time, I was nervous around, you know, was I doing the right thing? I've just, because we're sort of winding forward now, I've, you know, six years of study, um, two years of postgraduate work as a doctor, one year is sort of um, within ophthalmology, which is um, eye medicine, which I tried to get, I'm getting into or working in still. And, you know, in that rat race or that cycle that you work in as a medicine, everyone's racing to be a consultant by the mm. time that to do that, you have to put your, your heart and soul, you know, during hours during the day, after hours, weekends. And all, sometimes if you're not seen to be doing that, you know, you're not going to get selected to, to, to go on um, to be selected for those, those training programs. So I was really nervous and it got to a point where, you know, I was working Monday to Friday, um, in the hospital, working in the clinics, doing on calls. Friday night, I was flying to a game, um, doing the game Saturday, flying back Sunday, then straight back to work on the Monday. And that was okay at the start because I was, you know, this this last six months of the year when it was NPC, you know, you could sort of manage that because it might only be six weekends um, of the year. But then I started getting selected for Super Rugby, you know, as a player, the the better that you're doing, you get selected for higher honours. So I moved into that Super Rugby realm. So I started being the assistant referee they always get you to be the assistant referee before you're in the middle. So then that meant that the start of the year started filling up on the weekend as well. And then I started doing one or two games with the re- as the referee in the middle. So I was traveling not just around New Zealand for games and having to pe- prepare that week for games. I was also going to Australia and back. So my week got pretty full on. I never really got a, you know, I was almost doing two full-time jobs. And um, I, I specifically remember there was one Friday clinic that I was doing. Um, and normally, you know, your, your clinics, uh, uh, timed from 8 a.m. in the morning to 5 p.m. in the evening. 
but whatever adds on or comes in that day, you just have to add on to the, the end of the clinic. So I had a flight and I was doing a game in Auckland uh, on that Saturday. I had a flight at nine o'clock that night because I knew I had to try to um, obviously do it well, well after clinic. I thought I had heaps of time. By 6 p.m., by 7 p.m., we still had about 10 or 15 people waiting in the waiting room. I thought, you know, this is going to be a long one. And I couldn't just hand it over to the, the other doctors that were on call because you've got to, you know, be there, you've got to help out, you've got to assist. So the whole time I was looking at the time, am I going to make it, am I not going to make it? I started stressing out a little bit. Um, but long story, I, I ended up, you know, missing that flight. I had to, you know, race wow. the airport, book another flight myself, and then refereed the game the next day. And I refereed it well, but that whole situation of where – I'm in a clinic trying to, you know, give the best attention that I can to the patients who need me because I need to make a really good diagnosis and then a management plan. I'm busy looking at the clock the whole time. And then that pressure or that stress of rushing to the airport, potentially missing my flight, you know, could really impact my preparation for the game the next day. So I got to a point where I thought, look, this is, you know, this is going to be pretty difficult to continue, especially as I get more games. But fortunately, at that time, New Zealand Rugby um, decided to offer me a full-time contract. And... I, I mulled on it for about two weeks. So I, I took me two weeks to sit down with my head of department because I was pretty nervous about talking to her around leaving medicine potentially for one year because that's what it, all, it was at the start, just one year. I didn't know what was going to happen afterwards. Uh, but, you know, to her credit, she, um, she, really, she really helped me out. She said, look, you should give it a go. Medicine's always going to be there. Um, I'd really, really support that. So that the fact that I was able to open up to my head of department and I was well supported, it really helped the decision and it meant that I could um, go away, do referring um, and also work as a locum um, when I'm back uh, in, in, in New Zealand and in Wellington. So it, it was hard. It was a really tough decision, uh, but it just, yeah, timing-wise, it worked out perfectly. And um, looking back now, um, I'm still being able to do both. So I'm still able to work in the hospital. It's, it's worked out really well. Nice, so good. But I can imagine that being such a tough decision. You've cracked it these days. You're one of our full-time professional refs, which is awesome, and, and you've done you know not just domestic games but international games. Like, what does for a professional ref? Um, what does that week look like, or what does that preparation going into big games, whether it be super, whether it be international, look like? Because you know sometimes perhaps there's a perception from you know the rugby public and rugby followers that you know Ben gets in four or five games of golf and and um, you know uh, watches a bit of Ozark and and then he rocks up and and refs the game, but but in talking to you at other times and other other referees, there's a heap to it, eh? There's an absolute heap to it. Yeah, it's 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 not your average nine to five job. It's um it's very very different. And it took me a while to actually get into a routine of what worked for me. You got to find out what what works for Ben O'Keefe during the week so that he can go out on a Saturday and referee whatever game he's doing really well. And so my preparation, what my week looks like, is the same whether I'm refereeing NPC um, this weekend, um, Super Rugby, or or a Test match, or even at, at a World Cup. And a lot of it is around, for me, it's around confidence. So how do I get confidence that I can be um, go out there and, and referee the game to the best that I can? And so the way when I'm confident, it's because I prepared really well. So the preparation during the week is we have training. So um, we have a training that gives us all the physical field work that we need to do and also the strength training that we, de- we need to do. And for the majority of us, I mean, I can't speak for some most referees, but most of the strength training is just for injury prevention. Yeah, um, so it's not as much on the biceps and the guns that that I think some referees um, that you probably see on the international stage have. So, um, the and a lot of the trainings around it, you know, interval based training to be able to keep up with the game, but also the mental training around we can't be fatigued because we still have to make decisions when we're running eight to nine kilometers a game. Yeah, and those decisions have to be accurate after you've done eight or nine kilometers and you're in the last minute of that game as well so you know we do a lot of that during the week so that's the sort of the physical side 
then there's the mental side around how do you prepare and and review a game. So let's let's say a referee game on the Saturday. Uh, on the Sunday, generally, you know, we'll be travelling home. Um, and even if this, this is for internationals, so either on the flight home or on the next Monday, we're going to do a full review of that game. So we look at all the detail of that game. So we have all the angles, we can download all of that. Um, we can have the communication from um, myself and also the assistant referees. And I'll go through the whole game and I'll compare it to actually what my preparation plan was for that match. So what are the key focus areas that I expected to get um, for this game to flow really well? And it might be speed of the game, making sure that we have momentum. It might be making sure that we have space so that players can counter-attack um, and that we don't have any players offside and also set up of, of line-out and scrum. Let's say that are those three things. I'd review my game based on those three things and I'd also look at every single decision that I made, whether it was clear and obvious, so if it was right or wrong, yeah. and also every non-decision, um, so decisions that I didn't make that I should have, so a side entry at the ruck, which I've missed. Um, and all those, so all those details will fall out of the review that I'll do and I'll work out, okay, you know, what was my percentage? How accurate was I? Um, why did I get these decisions wrong? Was it because I have uh, I, I had a poor read on what was happening in front of me, or was it a misunderstanding of of the technical side, or was it positionally I was actually out of position? That's why. So all these things will fall out of it, and I'll have a chat with my coach. We all have we all have coaches, and hopefully they'll because they would have done a review as well. Hopefully our reviews align so that when we discuss, okay, what how do we improve for next week? You know, there'll be two or three key things that I'll then take into the next week um, around preparing for my next game. So then from that Monday leading into that game, all I'll be doing is I'll be, you know, probably watching the teams from the week before just to work out, okay, uh, is there anything that catches me by surprise? Is there anything that they're doing illegally that I might need to get in touch with them this week early so they can train to be better? And, you know, what can I do to lead into this game to actually get my mental um, preparation right around, you know, jackal pictures, tackle pictures, the scrum. So, the autonomy is great. I can work out. I can do yeah. it at a time that suits me. Um, but, you know, by the time you've done your review, by the time you've done your preview and all your training, all of a sudden you're on a flight again on Thursday. Yeah. So it, it, it does go pretty quickly uh, in terms of uh, all, all that work. Do you, what sort of, particularly for big test matches or big super games, what sort of interaction do you have with the coaching team? Because I suspect, you know, you always hear coaches talking about they want to have clarity and be on the same page as the officials, but also, you know, no doubt, uh, we're all competitive humans and they're trying to find those little advantages as well, those little places where they can push and prod and try and develop their game around, you know, what they think the referee might do. Like, do you have much interaction with the coaches? Because I know behind a head coach, there's always an army of analysts and assistant coaches and all sorts of stuff who are doing all the sort of reviewing and all the clipping and all the things that you're doing as well to try and um, best set up their team for the for the big game as well. Yeah, and, and the, the one of the best things that's happened, especially with the New Zealand rugby over the last two years, especially this year, was that each uh, Super Rugby team had a professional referee based with them. So I was based with the Hurricanes. So I mean, I could never referee or AR be a team over a Hurricane game, but we were in that environment for um, the whole season and able to assist them with law knowledge, um, post game review, and just providing them clarity around you know what they could or couldn't do. So. That, that for me was amazing. So there's, there's now there's this relationship being created between, you know, the, the, well, there's four main stakeholders in a game of rugby, like including spectators, but the coaches, the players and the referees. We're always off to the side a little bit. And, you know, we could be in our own bubble yeah. uh, determining, okay, what's the right law around here? We, we, we weren't having that interaction with players or coaches to be able to understand better what we should be refereeing. So now we've got that collaboration, which worked really well. So leading into games, let's say it was a team that I wasn't, uh, involved with 
what would happen is that earlier in the week, you know, we're always encouraged, especially post game, um, we send an hour review to the coaches. So the decisions that we got right, the decisions that we got wrong, and maybe the clarity around some real technical decisions. And normally coaches are really appreciative of that they can take that on board so that when they're doing a review on Monday and they go, what's that penalty for? Or why, why was that player yellow carded? They immediately have that answer from us. So they can either tell that um, the, the prop that, that was hinging at the scrum, look, this is the picture that you're showing that we need to work on this this week. Or actually, no, the referees actually just said that, um, you know, you should have been rewarded for that jackal. So your position over the ball is really good. So there's immediate clarity for players, which I think, you know, by having that interaction is really good. And then, you know, leading into a game, whether it's a, um, an international test match. So, for example, when I was in um, Argentina in July, um, both uh, uh, Gregor Townsend and Michael Checker, you know, they wanted to have meetings with us. So they'd have a meeting with us on um, the Thursday. There's a bit of a protocol around you know, 48 hours before kickoff, that's probably the latest that they can contact us. And what they've, what they've moved away from, I think, is actually trying to show too many clips of the opposition mm. because that never worked. Like, <laughs> like, often, and, you know, it started at club rugby, they'd always show clips around, you know, what this is what the other team's trying to do, you know, like, I reckon this is illegal, just just for your awareness, you know, Ben. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, thanks, mate, because um, I'm going to go in and, you know, referee my own, my own style and, you know, I can only be consistent with the... Uh, the, the way that I referee. So, you know, just the fact that some a, a clip's been dropped on me the day before, you know, isn't really going to change, um, obviously, how I referee. But so what they've moved to is actually trying to show clips of, of things that they're doing so that, A, we're not surprised if it's a, a move at the back of the line out that they're doing. So they might identify that we stand at the back of the line out. So potentially I might then move to the front of the line out to assist with something that they want to do so I'm not in the way. Or they may have some real technical line out to more move or... Um, something they're doing midfield that they want to just know we've been training this all week is this okay and then I can say yes it is okay or actually no if I saw this on the field you're going to be penalized so that whole collaboration and the communication that we have during the week um, is becoming really really structured and really really good uh, obviously we got you know we saw examples where it actually went wrong you know with line series last year and all the the media that came out after that so um, one thing that I think World Rugby is doing right now, which is going to filter all the way down through um, Super Rugby and NBC, is setting up a, this is this is what you can expect if you want to talk to the referee during the week, and this is the time you need to do it in. So I think it's a, a real positive. You touched on a little bit, like some of those games, they're where you want to be as a ref. You want to be doing Lions series. You want to be doing World Cups. You know, you're, you're privileged to be, a, to be able to have done an all-black game. But, like, it comes with huge pressure, huge criticism, you know, at the, at the real high end of it, you know, Russie got on and did a, a 50 or 60 minute video around why he thought the referee got things wrong. Um, how do you handle that stuff, mate? Because I know I've talked to you in the past and you'll, you'll get people who go out of their way to, to find your name on social and, and even though it's got two E's and two F's, they still manage to track you down and, and they're happy to write some comments or stick you a, a DM or something around what they think you've done wrong. That's actually, takes a lot of effort to do that. Like, And I'm sure, um, you know, certain people can take criticism or like how do you process that sort of stuff because it's you know people love their footy and sometimes they they want to let you know what they think you've done right or wrong yeah honestly like my last name you're right and you, you nailed it two e's two e's and they can still find me and the can still just send me you know their thoughts post game so um that was honestly that was the biggest change from the level going from NBC to super rugby and from super rugby to international yes the game's a little bit quicker but i've always said you know like refereeing at the top level it's, it's a lot quicker, but the, the players are so accurate. So if there's an error, it, it really sticks out. So I find often those games, they're never easy to referee, but often those pictures are a lot easier to, to, to see that's in front of you versus, 
where you go out and do an under 15 game and you know everyone's just running around the ball so they're quite tough to referee sometimes but so the so the biggest change actually when you're going up those level is the actual the i guess the attention yeah. or the opinions and the feedback that you get post game and mate, i love rugby I, I love opinions i love how people um, get invested in the game and they always have you know their thoughts and you know they want their team to beat the opposition but with over the last probably five six years with social media um, and the access that you know people have to people now you know it, you can just put a you can put a thought out there and it's actually really hard sometimes to avoid it where you know back in the day when you know one of our mates jacko was probably referring he just could he could decide not to pick up the newspaper and you know he wouldn't read about it where where now you know your phone's beeping you've got a private message and it's someone talking to you about how you know they thought you were pretty poor last night and then they can get even even deeper into some pretty hurtful stuff so it's it's tough because we're all humans like i'm a human being i don't like being told you know negative things um and and i also accept that there's a lot of things a lot of decisions and games that i make which which are errors or or could be better you know the game is very it's not black and white we're not asked to referee black and white because if we if we were then that 60 page law book would mean that we're, we're penalizing everything every 20 seconds so there is that balance that we're trying to create uh so there is a big difference between i think passion for the game and and you know like cheering and you know maybe getting involved in the game and you know maybe yelling something out versus actually you know the the, the depth that some people go to post game to to give you the criticism so you know it, it is hard to deal with i think just over time i've become more accustomed to to realizing that actually it's okay it's 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 okay that i can referee a really really good game and i'm still going to get messages afterwards i remember um watching a test match uh that i think uh craig gba refereed and i got to a point where in my, in my career as a referee that i could understand okay what is the level of of accuracy at a, at a test match i think i might, might have done done a handful and i watched this um test match that jubes did, and he absolutely nailed it you know like he was he was one of the top referees uh when he refereed and, and I watched this game and I thought he was just excellent. And I still read things afterwards that criticized, you know, decisions in the game, the decisions that were correct. So that was a bit of a a, a moment where I realized that even when we're right, we're still going to be getting criticism, whether that's whether that's right or wrong from those people. So it helped me, it helped me sort of process that, okay, these are just opinions from people that um really have no understanding of the game. Um, and I just push it aside. And and there are times now where I'm on the back of back of the bus. We might have finished a test match, and you know I'm with Angus Gardner from Australia, and he's you know showing me messages that he's being sent. So you know there's that collaboration, that teamwork, and we can laugh at it a little bit now. It's never easy, yeah. but we can you can laugh at it. But um, it's it's one of those things that it's a real blight on the game uh, because it definitely you know steps over the line sometimes. Uh, but yeah, we just have to. We, I just have to understand that it's it's never going to change really. And the more games you do, yes, the more pressure you get. Um, you know, test matches, are inc- there's a lot of pressure, line series, World Cup in the game and decisions afterwards. So I'm going to be in a situation in the future where it happens again. And, and you know, that's just something I've, I've accepted. Um, and and it's, it's a little bit easier, but, yeah, never, never, never straightforward. Uh, no matter what happens in the future with rules or processes or systems or the things that we do, you know, Rugby, in our opinion, is subjective, isn't it? Humans have see the same thing and have different opinions, and that's just the reality of of. And it, like you say, it's what drives passion and opinion and conversation, and it's great. But I suppose if as long as we always, you know, try and keep it, um, you know, at the right level and and not, um, then that, that's the way forward. I wanted to try and switch to the positive a little bit around. You've actually done now, even though it's still 
probably early days in your career in some regards, you've hopefully got many, many games in front of you. What's been the highlight so far? You know, what's been the good stuff? Is it things you look back on when you, you first sort of um, got a first professional game or is it some of these really big, iconic things you've been a part of? Um, I just, looking from a distance, things like the Lawn Series, they, they just look amazing. You know, I've never been over and seen that, but uh, the South African rugby public... Uh, are just great supporters. The Lions couldn't as much, but they travel so much, you know, and get around their Lions team. Um, they only go to New Zealand or to South Africa once every 12 years or eight years. Like, um, they're pretty amazing things to be a part of. What's what stuck out for you as, as the biggest highlights thus far? It's a really difficult one, Randy, because <laughs> this, this, this game that we're involved in is just incredible. And um, the opportunities that you get as a referee, and, and I'm sure the same things for players, especially at international level, are just amazing. Um, you know, so every year it's like, oh, that's my biggest highlight. And then yeah. the next year, um, there'll be something different. It's not necessarily because it's an international game. It's like, you know, a few weeks ago, I refereed in Shannon. I did, um, you know, why can I beat versus Shannon in the club <laughs> rugby game? That was a highlight because afterwards we had a great aftermatch with Devil Sausages, we were able to relax. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was a highlight after doing the professional game for for four years and not being able to do that. Um, but I think, and, you know, I t you touched on about the Lions series and, you know, that's, that's certainly a pinnacle. You know, there are a few pinnacles as referees that, um, you know, you want to you want to be able to achieve. You want to, I love to challenge myself. I always want to be better every single week. And I always always want to see progression because I want I want the game. I want people that when Beno Kiefer referees a game, they can sit back and go, yeah, I really I, I didn't really notice Beno Kiefer because I really enjoyed that game. The players had space to play. Um, it was a really good contest. We got some great tries and the right team won. And and that's my goal. And you you've always got to be better. You've always got to be improving to to try and get that. And that's that's one of my goals. Do you let yourself take in the occasion? Like I look at those things, whether it's a, a World Cup or Lions or, or just a test match, there's thousands of people in the crowd. Like you say, there's the tunes going on. There's, you know, you're refereeing some of the best athletes in the game. Do you let yourself take it in or do you actually have to just get in the zone so that you're in the best possible place to be to make good decisions? Because that's, I just, I mean, obviously, you know, you're good at what you do, mate, but by Christ, I would get distracted. You know, I'd, <laughs> I just look at it and, and, you know, loving footy as well. You just, there's some great footy players in front of you, there's things in the stands, there's tunes, there's all sorts of stuff going on. Or actually, it's it's that comes post-match and, and when the whistle blows, it's, it's very much game on. Yeah, a little bit of both. Like, I try and be myself in the game. I think that's one of the one of, one of the early learnings I, I made is that if you're not trying to be yourself, then, you know, you, it's pretty unnatural and you can't make good decisions. And so, like, before a game, I'm, I'm pretty relaxed, but I'm, I'm, I'm serious, you know, I'm nervous as well because I want to do a really good job. But what I'll do, and, and some of the best parts where I take it all in are the, the um, anthems. Um, so as you walk out onto the field, fireworks are going, there's smoke, you go out, you stand in front, you've got two countries next to you, South Africa, there might be Scotland on the other side, you're at Murrayfield, it's pretty foggy, you know, um, you know they're pretty special moments. And and so those moments, I'll, I'll always be looking around, I'll be you know, checking out how many people are in the stands. Uh, and the anthems, when they go, especially, like I love the Scottish national anthem, Especially when, like a Six Nations game, yeah, like you talk about experience is one of the most special tournaments to be involved in, just in terms of probably the crowds that they get because they're literally 50 50 because of traveling supporters. Yeah, and you know, you're at Murrayfield and the Scottish anthem is going on, they've got the piper on the roof, it stops halfway, and then half the rest of the half, half of the song, the, the crowd's just singing it, and then you go off and you're doing a Six Nations game. And, and you know, so when you actually blow the whistle, you don't re and you're in the 80 minutes you're so focused on the tackle that's in front of you or the high ball that's happening. 
compared to the assistant referees who I think are a little bit closer to the to the, to the sideline, you actually don't hear the crowd. Um, wow. It's only once when I was at Twickenham, and I remember Johnny May with five minutes to go, he was sort of um, boosting down the sideline. And that's when the roar actually got so loud that it, it broke me out of my my refereeing sort of focus, you know, like, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. And I was able to, you know, appreciate that because it was a runaway, runaway try, but then, you know, next kickoff, you're back into it. And then, and then, so yeah, so afterwards, so beforehand you, you take it all in and then afterwards, especially when it goes well, um, it's always a really, a really nice feeling and you can sort of, I often, the reflection for me is the, the most satisfying when I can sit back in the changing room afterwards and go, yeah, that was a really good game and we contributed really well to it. Um, and so to get back to your, your initial question, your Lions series was amazing. I think uh, World Cup, I think, is, is was special too, you know, as a, as a highlight, as a pinnacle for me. And for the same reasons I was sort of described at the World Cup, I refereed Japan versus Scotland, so host mm -hmm. nation in Japan. Um, it was the last game of the World Cup and actually it was almost like a playoff because the winner of that game went into the quarterfinals. You know, oh, cool. Japan played so well, Scotland played so well to reach that point that it was the winner was it wasn't decided yet um and so i think there's about seventy thousand people at yokohama stadium there was a few million people watching it and and that was a point that was a game when when i walked off i was able to reflect and go and and be really satisfied with my performance and and felt like uh, i really was able to contribute to that game so for me that was that was a a pretty big highlight um but then you know amongst other things like referring the all blacks and lines we've talked about um yeah it's it's pretty hard just to pick one there's um is there certain players, whether it be their knowledge of the rules and how they challenge you on the field, like how they how they manage the ref? It's so often we hear something talked about, you know, captains and players, how they manage the ref, or even just just players, like just guys that you watch. And I know you're you're in the zone and you're focused, but you just go, wow, we that guy's fast or that guy's powerful. You know, you sit there and go, you know, do you have those moments as well? And if you do, who are who are those players that challenge you, or, or who are those players where you just go, amongst some brilliant athletes here? The, even these guys are actually showing out a little bit amongst this crew. Is there any any names that spring to mind? Yeah, the the, um, the whole like captain relationship or lead, leader relationship with the with the referee is really interesting. So I've been able to come across and you come across some big personalities, you know, some big big players, yeah. um, especially at the national level. So you know, I think of players like um, uh, Sia Khaleesi, Alan Wynne Jones, Guillaume Garado, who was in um, for France. And you know, even Michael Hooper. You know, these are these are the best players in their position in the world in their country, and are, who are the captains. And you know, they've got this. They've all got different styles of how they deal with the, the referee. And you know, it's really impressive how they do that because a lot of times, once they're at that level, you know, we're really lucky. Rugby is a sport where you know the the players do respect the officials, and I think it's really important that we continue that um, through the game. So when you have that relationship with that captain. It's, it's really good how you see different dynamics that come out. So like an Alan Jones, who's two metres plus, <laughs> will always come up to the referee and actually like, um, you know, put his hands on his knees, you know, get to that level and be side by side. So it's not intimidating and just ask questions. Uh, Michael Hooper will do it on the run at the next line out. You know, he'll be asking questions. And, you know, I just think, you know, even like Rory Best, he was just such a gentleman. So it's hard not to like him. So you know, they do in their own ways, get you in their pocket, but they also understand why we can't. And this is why I tell I tell captains as well. If um, you know, so I was working with the um, captains with the Hurricanes this year. So you can never you can never change the decision that a referee's made at that point. But potentially you can plant seeds for later in the game, and it may be the difference between whether that penalty has been given for a jackal or that penalty has been given for not rolling. 
Um, so those that whole dynamic is really, really good. And and those those definitely personalities uh, are the ones that I, I really respect. In terms of players, I think uh, it's it's like you're referring a test match and the hits and the tackles you feel. Oh. Well, I guess you feel the ear move around you because yeah. you know, you're a member away from it. Um, the, 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 the pace that guys can run through gaps and then, you know, break a tackle and then do an offload uh, is, is, is pretty incredible as well. I, I think I saw, um, even in the NBC last weekend, I saw Nick Grigg do, like, he's a uh, new centre for Waikato from Scotland. He, like, stepped and did a pass behind his back. And so you see that kind of, this the skill level, I think, uh, which is really impressive for me um, because, you know, the players, like, the strength, the speed, they're all pretty even. Um, but now the game's just going to a new, new level with offloads and the way that people can kick and catch and get people the high ball. So, yeah, it's all, it's all pretty impressive. What would um, we always hear about, you know, the, the Bronco, the players do at the start of the year, the fitness test, Bodie's got one that's just over four minutes or something like that. You know, if we're off to the, the Olympics of referees, who, who's running the best Bronco? You know, is it, is it a Kiwi? Is it, you know, one of these past players like Nick Berry who still looks like he enjoys the gym? Like, what, who's, who's doing well here, mate? Who's winning the fitness test? I'm glad you brought up Bears because um, he's, he's a great man and he does he does love the gym and he's, he sets some pretty good standards there. But like I, I think, um, and this will be an interesting one at this capping ceremony, just to talk about with the old referees, you know, what was their physical routine back in the day? And I reckon we've, uh, we've we'll probably put a few more times in the gym during the week than them, but um, I don't know. We'll find out. The uh, we we actually had a world rugby meeting in Dubai um, in July. So before every uh, window, so we have a Six Nations window, a July window, a rugby championship window, and a November window. And we all get together and meet to meet before those windows to talk about the laws, to talk about the focus areas for that window. And during that, we do fitness tests as well. So part of the fitness test that we had to do uh, in Dubai was obviously skin folds, which is never a nice one to do, especially <laughs> as a little like, like I am. Um, you have to do a 10-meter speed test. You have to do a vertical um, counter movement jump and then a bronco. So the, the 20, 40, 60 meters back and forth five times. And it's never been a favourite of anyone's. It just doesn't um, sound that hard, but it's just a killer, isn't it? It doesn't sound hard until you're three laps in and yeah. you're behind everyone else. But <laughs> totally. the, the referees, you know, as, as I as I sort of touched on before, you know, we do have to get to a level where we're more like middle distance runners. So we've got to be fit. We've got to be able to keep up with the game. Obviously, we don't need to keep on side, so our running lines can be a little bit adjusted. Uh, and we've got to be mentally be able to make decisions at the end. So um our standard is that international referees we've got to get under 455 okay and that's oh, wow. that's pretty yeah, rare that's good going um and the quickest referee um that did a bronco at in july was actually christoph ridley from england he's a young up-and-coming referee um i think he's an assistant referee in the rugby championship at the moment so you know hopefully we'll go to the world cup um in some capacity and he he did it in about 416 wow um, which is which is super. Now the problem is, is that when you start getting those times, our, his standard now goes that he must get fourteen <laughs> next time before it five. So the smarter the smarter referees like me sort of hold back a little bit so yeah, that yeah. there's always a little bit of give. Um, yeah. we're, we're fortunate in New Zealand. I think we've probably got, you know, we've got four um, full time professional referees within New Zealand. So um, Brendan Pickerel, Paul Williams, uh, James Donlan, and we had we have Mike Fraser as well. So so five. And, and I can honestly say, I think we're the fittest group of referees um, in the world at the moment. And I think we're sort of, you know, doing a really good space with the setup that we have in New Zealand, referring Super Rugby and the group that we have, you know, hopefully we're going to you know lead the way over the next few years because we're still, you know, the majority of us are still pretty young. And you, you see that it happens in cycles over, over decades. You get 
you know, top referees will all come from Australia. And the next group will all be from England for the next five years. And, you know, when, when Jews are refereeing, the top groups were from South Africa. Um, so hopefully I'm, I'm, I think that, you know, we're in a really good space for um, the New Zealand referees. And that's only going to benefit Super Rugby and, you know, hopefully benefit the All Blacks. Because if you've got us working at a, at a high standard, then, you know, it should, um, it should be able to, transition into what you see in the game um, when we're watching it down here. Absolutely. You didn't, I think you forgot to mention your Bronco time. I didn't hear it. What was it? Mate, I was actually a 428. So, oh, so, that's, so that's rapid. Was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a PV. Um, that's really good. Yeah, I pulled I pulled out all the stops. So <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be nervous doing it right now though. I haven't, I haven't done as much training before then as I did. Mate, what's next? Because I know, um, you know, you're doing some Bunnings NPC at the moment, which is awesome. We've got some internationals coming up, but obviously next year we've got World Cups, uh, these Lions tours that are going to be in Aussie not too far in the distant future. Obviously, you want to be a part of those, but how do you be a part of them? Like, how are you ranked? Who picks this? Who decides, you know, who gets those gigs? You know, like, what's what's the process for you to go to these pinnacle events, I suppose, is the way of saying it. Yeah, it's it's, it's similar to, to players, and you're right. Like, it's, it's funny how I feel like the World Cup was just, like, 2019 was just yesterday. It does feel like that, yeah. Massive. Another four, four years has gone, and we're, we're getting ready for another World Cup next year. So, you know, you're on that that cycle. You're on that roller coaster of just strapping in and and having to do game by game to be selected. So, to go to those as a, you know, like players, um, obviously you've got to perform really well. And every window that I mentioned before, so we have four windows a year. There's 12 referees in the world that uh, I guess at that tier one tier one test level. So you're either refereeing at that level, uh, um, or you know, you're you're assistant referee at that level. So it's actually probably about 17. I think they take about 12 referees to the World Cup. Um, then they'll have about five assistant referees and then five TMOs. So they're all selected based on performances. So coming up, so I've got, um, so I just, I refereed Argentina, Scotland, July. I was ranked. I was, um, you know, uh, they rated my performance. And then I was selected for a rugby championship game. So in two weeks, I'll referee Australia versus uh, South Africa and Sydney at their new stadium there. Awesome. And I need to referee, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty special. So, um, yeah. I need to, uh, referee that referee that game well and if i do i'll then be selected to referee in november so you, you just you go week you go so sorry window to window of needing to perform so by the time that they come to the end of six nations next year so 2023 the world cup's going to be the end of the year they'll probably they'll make a selection All right so they'll they'll select based on um who are their top 12 referees or the 12 referees that they want to take to the world cup that's going to be in france at the end of the year and like at the moment, there's not really um, a, a ranking system, but, you know, people, it's pretty clear that, you know, the best referees in the world right now, you know, if you could rattle them off, you know, Wayne Barnes, Yako Piper, um, you know, Matthew Raynow. So as, as an example, but they still have to keep refereeing well to be selected to go to the World Cup as well. Um, and so we'll just find out at the end of Six Nations if we've performed well leading up to those windows. And it can, it can really honestly come up to around you have one, one bad game in Six Nations. That might be you gone. Yeah. Um, but the process around selection, I feel, is really thorough now. So um, potentially we didn't have that. It was quite subjective over the last um, few cycles. But now, um, you know, they look at the stats of our games. Right. They look at the reviews of our games and how we're rated. Um, and, you know, they've got a system where, you know, that system should fall out, yeah. you know, 12 to 14 referees. And then they've got to sort of pick 12 of them to go. So. I'm looking forward to it. I think, you know, it just it, it puts the pressure on to perform well, to prepare well, and to referee games well. So I think when referees are refereeing it well, it's going to be good for the players. Good luck, mate.
Our partners at SAP pride themselves on powering the best-run team, so we're asking our guest, Ben, to help identify success factors on and off the pitch. Mate, and I wanted to take maybe a little bit of a, a rescue on this. Like, during your time in rugby, is there any common success factors that stand out? Yeah, one of, one of the biggest ones, I think, especially for referees, is, is always take on advice and try and seek out advice as much as you can. As a referee, there's no real... Uh, uh, book around how to referee a game well. Okay, yeah. so a lot of it comes down to experience, and you can learn that yourself. Just if, if I didn't ask anyone for any advice or any assistance throughout my career, um, you know, you can progress, but well, it's going to take a long, long time. You're going to make a lot of mistakes as well on the way. Why not pick up? And for example, at this cap- capping ceremony, it would be a great time mm. to be able to um, reflect and catch up with other referees who've had similar experiences, but getting advice from people will mean that actually you can put that into your game before potentially that experience or that era has happened to you. So what it will help is actually ref- you can referee the game better on, on the weekend because you've talked to the coach after the game, they've given you feedback. You've talked to another referee about their positioning or the way that they communicate, or you've talked to a player or a seven around, okay, what is it that you're actually looking at when you try and come into a tackle? When you understand those things and you've been given advice from those people, and you implement into your own game, that's going to really help the performance that you can put out and your, and your progression as well versus just doing it by yourself. So always be an open book. You get a lot of you get a lot of feedback. Um, try and pick out the little gemstones that are inside those those bits of feedback and you know, you'll be on your way to, to you know, getting better every week. Mate, love that. Any other sporting teams or individuals um, that you admire as being high-performing team um, and maybe even, again, perhaps with a skew towards referees in different sports? Yeah, I um I really I, I went I was overseas and um, I must have been over there for a November Test match and obviously between working and preparing for a game I went to watch Arsenal versus Tottenham at um, the Emirates Stadium, um, so a bit of a derby match. Yeah, that's just, awesome. Yeah, yeah, man, it was it was incredible. And one of the key things that I recognised though from that game, which I never really realised when I was watching TV, is that I was able to actually watch the referee from a wide angle just to see what they did. And what I really, what I really enjoyed that, because um, obviously players get stuck into the, the referees or the umpires in football, and um, one of the management tools that they used is that when they're about to yellow card a player, if there was a foul, they would quickly pull out the yellow card and hold it down beside them, and then you know walk over to the incident and then you know give the explanation and then give the yellow card. And so I was blown away by that because I was able to recognise that players could see that immediately. Okay, the ref's going to yellow card this player. We don't need to you know, barrage the referee and, and give them feedback. So I really enjoyed that. And it's something I put into my game where um, if I'm, so normally when we give a yellow card, we time off review, TMO, okay, this is the decision. Then we walk over to the captain and then we pull the card out after the explanation. So we're busy explaining to the captain and the captain might be thinking it's play on. Then we pull it out and then they go, whoa. And then, you know, they react and then they stop. Or the other, or the opposition might come over and start saying it needs to be a yellow card as well. So what I do now is that once I've made my decision for a yellow card, I'll actually pull it out early, hold it, and as I walk over, the captain is, okay, this is a yellow card. The opposition, oh, okay, it is a yellow card, um, and then we can, you know, we, you know, it's just a better interaction. So that's that's one thing I thought football umpires do did really well. And then I guess the competition that I really like is the NBA, and what I learned from the NBA is that. Um, what they do in their preseason is that a lot of all the new rules that they try and bring into the NBA, NBA or the new technicalities, they have a whole summer league. Mm. And that summer league, they use that for all the, the technical changes that they do to implement. So the referees getting used to them first and foremost, and also the players are getting used to them first and foremost as well. So they can tinker 
and either adjust. So by the end of the summer league, when they actually start the NBA, they, they everyone knows the laws. The referees know how to do them correctly as well. And then it doesn't impact the game as much uh, during that regular season. So, you know, that's something I, I see that they do in the NBA, which potentially I feel like we, we can't really do that now because we go straight into Super Rugby. There's no summer league. But potentially something, you know, we, we, we should try and look at at World Rugby where, you know, we can trial these these new changes and laws and competitions before, you know, they come straight into tier one test matches. Um, you know, it's 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 a part of the NBA, which I, I really like what they do. Mate, so good. Like, we're almost ticked an hour, which is amazing. Time's flowing, and there's just so many things I want to chat to. We're going to have to get you back on maybe even a couple of times, one around the capping ceremony, maybe with some other refs, and also just stuff around scrums, breakdown cards, all the things that I'd love to get your opinion on so what we can look out for as fans and get a better understanding of the game because it is so dynamic and it can be so subjective. So um, really keen to get you back um, and talk about all that sort of stuff. But thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on. Good luck tonight. It's a Shield game, isn't it, um, that you're refing over this weekend? So there's always a bit of, bit of heat around that as well. So so good luck there. Um, enjoy it. And, and um, yes, mate, look forward to getting you back on again perhaps in a month or so. Cheers, Randy. Thanks very much. Cheers, mate. The All Blacks podcast is powered by our official cloud software partner, SAP, helping our teams of black be the best run in sports. Hosted by Rob Dunn in the Hargrave Street Studio. Produced by Carl Thompson from Blue and Ginge, the podcast producers. Video editing by Mac Leesberg, graphics by Western Design, content advising from Andy Burt, and commercial manager for the podcast is Valeska Hoth. Follow the All Blacks podcast on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube and anywhere you get your podcasts.